Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And we are at the interview part of the show. And uh, joining me as co host is uh, Michael Hawley, back from his COVID 19 fight. Oh, it was enjoyable. Very enjoyable. <laughs> but I'm back <laughs> with a few coughs. Yeah, well, you have always worked kind of coffee anyway. Um, so, how was the COVID nineteen for you? How was it? Was it okay? Or like, what, you know, explain. People don't know what it was that don't have any experience. What was it like? Well, the uh, well, the wife got it. She got it because she was shopping. It was during the holiday seasons, and we have six kids. Uh, I stopped at four. I don't know what happened, but we. Uh, so, what happened was is when she popped positive. Uh, you know, one of those instant test things. The uh, the rest of us is ne- were negative, but she was feeling a little kind of feverish. So, uh, but she's this CrossFit lady, so she's got like muscles on her T cells. So, but she was sick for just a couple days. And then my kids were just sick for a couple days, and it beat the crap out of me. And uh, for about three weeks, constant coughing, and I had that uh, pneumonia part of it. And then uh, so they had to. Uh, but uh, I did, you know, I, the hydration was, to me was the, the, the secret to success is constantly drinking. And then uh, eventually it kind of uh, found its way out of me. But uh, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm loaded with the, the memory T cells and the antibodies. Um, but uh, it, was, uh, it was so funny because it's just, uh, just it doesn't, I mean, like for me, I was healthy. Uh, I mean, I'm a healthy person, and then, uh, but it really kind of ripped me apart, but didn't mess with the wife as much. But it's amazing what yeah. this thing does. 
But you're you're old. <laughs> I'm yeah. I am just one or two months older than you, and that's it. So just remember that. I know, but you're old. You'll be fifty-nine. I mean, you got to got to take care of yourself. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. And then it is true. The I don't work out as much as uh, uh, my wife does, but uh, so, but uh, it's uh, I, it'll be nice uh, once the vaccines. I, I'm scheduled for a vaccine in, uh, next week, I think. But, oh uh, yeah, you're you're with the old age home people, right? Uh, almost. I'm with the the teachers, the academics. <laughs> so. Ah, interesting times. Okay, yeah. now, uh, now, so we've got an interesting guest, um, written a lot of books. Um, I'll call him crime fiction author, and all the way from Hawaii. Our guest is Nick Thacker. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, Nick, um, you actually, you know, uh, what what first <laughs> caught my eye was on social media. I've seen your books around, but also social media. I came across uh, a video of you sitting in your bathtub. <laughs> this is going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you were reading, uh, it, well, it reminded me of the um, Jimmy Kimmel thing where they're reading bad tweets. About the mean tweets, yeah. Yeah, the mean yep. tweets, and you were reading the bad reviews. Um, and I thought that was quite quite clever, quite funny, actually. It, it's It's what kind of got me on to you in that way. But I I, I have to say, because I've written books myself and I've been through that experience, and same as Holly here, he has too. And I, how do you get so, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but to be able to sit mm-hmm. there and read it and then make your airplane, how does that, <laughs> like how can you do that and still be happy? Like I, I get really bothered at times um, when people, because they just, a lot of them are just writing mean things, right? They're just, sure. you know, just, sure. it's not even about what what you're, you wrote or the story. It's just like, oh, well, you know, they just put something nasty. So Well, that's you, just it, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they're not, often these reviewers are not commenting on the book itself. They're just upset. Uh, there's a joke I have with some buddies of mine that all one-star reviewers are failed authors. Um, it's not entirely true, but, um, you know, that kind of helps with the attitude a little bit. And to be honest, I, I've got a pretty thick skin. I didn't start, um, my, my internet facing life with publishing books. Um, I started as a blogger way back when, when blogging was, you know, becoming a new thing. And so I was putting myself out there day after day. And, and that was back when people would comment on blog posts and leave mean, you know, people have always been mean on, on the internet. That's not surprising. Right. Um, so it wasn't surprising for me to get one star reviews that were a little ridiculous and uh, arguably pretty funny. Um, but the, the truth of the matter, guys, is it, it just, it's a numbers game for me. You know, I'm reading a few of these one star reviews. I probably have 500 one-star reviews, but and this isn't to brag. I've got something like 5,000 other reviews, um, and so you know, it. I, I could choose to be upset about those 500 one-star reviews, but I see that a lot of other people, a lot more people, seem to really like my books, and so um, you know, that's that's really what I'm uh, what I'm focusing on if I'm focusing at all on these reviews. Well, that's the right answer. I just don't know how to get there because I, I am there for the most part, but there's just every once in a while a certain day will come across and you'll see something um, and it kind of can 
I don't know. It kind of puts me in a mood, so I don't know. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, and I'm not immune to that either, of course. You know, these are obviously this, this video you saw was, was not live. <laughs> it was no. recorded and edited and all that, and <laughs> um, I got to choose which reviews I was reading. So obviously I did not choose in that video to read the reviews that hit close to home, right? The, I didn't choose the ones where they said, whoa, all Nick's characters are cardboard, sarcastic versions of himself, which is, I would say, accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's so. So, where did it start for you then? Why, why, why does Nick write? Uh, I I started writing. Um, I actually did it as sort of a, a dare or a challenge for myself. My my grandfather had passed away this one year. I think it was 2011, um, and he and I would trade thrillers with my father, and we just kind of had this. We all read the same books, and when he died, I, I thought, you know, would be a really cool gift for my dad would be to to write a book and give it to him on Christmas Day. That was it. That was the whole idea. It was just this, if they can do it, I can do it kind of attitude. I was very naive. <laughs> I didn't know how hard it was. How old I'd never you? written anything before. Um, I was um, just married, I think, so I would have been 24 at the time. Okay. Yeah, and I, I tried it. Um, I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. I was sorely mistaken. Um, it, it, <laughs> it's still a ton of work, obviously, um, but I, I did slog through it, and I did have at least a presentable book at the end of the year. Um, my dad, of course, loved it, and what happened was I, I thought, I'm never going to write another book. I got, I've got to put all the ideas I've got in this one, and inevitably, they didn't all fit, and I had other ideas that you know were spewing out of this book that I had to cut out, and those ideas, some of those became the next book, not a sequel necessarily, but the next thing that I wrote, and I just kept doing that, and eventually, I started getting you know, readers. I started, besides my mom <laughs> and my dad, you know, people who actually I didn't, I didn't know. They were reading them and wanting more. And so, yeah, one thing led to another. I, I quit the day job um, about three years ago. Um, and shortly after that, my wife left her job and we uh, recently moved to Hawaii. And so that, if it sounds like I'm a super rich and famous author, I wish that were true. But we, we're doing uh, well enough to, to live on my, uh, my writing income. And um, it's been a great life ever since. Well, there you go. No, actually, I understand what you're saying. It takes time, and, and you do build up a certain, certain amount of fan base, um, and you can start living off of it. Um, I just um, – so where, where do you get the, the basis for your ideas? So you're writing a book, and uh, you, you have a story to tell. Um, where does that story come from? That's a great question. Um, you know, the answer – Every author has a different answer, more than one answer a lot of times. Um, mine, so don't take this as, as Bible. This is just my, my way of doing it. I write in a genre that we like to call archaeological thrillers or action-adventure thrillers, very Indiana Jones, National Treasure type stuff. And so I've developed this, um, I'm going to say the dreaded word, formula uh, for writing. And it's, it's really simple. It's just I pick some sort of prototype or prototypical technology I put it in an exotic location and give it to a bad person or organization, the bad guy, and I, I have the good guy or cast of good guys go find it um, and figure out what they're doing and why they're trying to do it. Everything comes from that thread um, of, of an idea. What's the technology or what's the historic significance? I like to, to bring in the history, of course. Um, how can I take something scientific over here in this realm and, and line it up with something historic in this realm? And because I'm a fiction writer, it doesn't have to be a perfect, it doesn't have to, have to actually be real, of course, um, but it has to make sense. How can I fit these two things together to make sense? Um, a long time ago, I used to have a swipe file. I, I would just 
grab Popular Science Magazine and I would rip out articles that were interesting and I would just keep them in this green folder. Uh, and it, it ended up being a pretty thick folder that when I would start writing a book, I would open it up and I would just pull out these articles or documents or things I printed off from the Internet and I would just lay them out and say, what is interesting to me and how can I smash these together in a way that kind of makes sense? And sometimes it didn't work, but that was really where most of the ideas all hatched from was forcing these ideas to work together in a new way uh, that would, you know, both um, inspire me to write, but also uh, potentially be intriguing for the reader as well. So, so you'd have Harvey Bennett thrillers, uh, like a series. So when you take a character like Harvey Bennett and uh, run them through a, a series of books, um, how do you know where that Harvey's going to go? How do you, how do you develop that character um, so that it's not too much like you yourself? Oh, man, I wish I knew the answer to that. I feel like Harvey Bennett is me in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not the hero that he is, of course, but I'm just a normal person, and that's how Harvey Bennett started out was just um, – I remember having the idea, what if, you know, like Lee Child has Jack Reacher, and who's uh, – and Lee Child is quoted as saying, you know, I wanted a character who could walk down the street at night and just never be afraid. Um, because of his skills, his training. And I thought, well, that's great, but how did how did Jack Reacher become Jack Reacher? And that's who Harvey Bennett is early on, is this character who doesn't know his own potential. He's never been trained in any specific martial arts way or what, what have you. And I just dropped him into the world. And if so, you know, arguably, um, it's he's a little more of a boring character early on because of that. But I think he's also somebody that can resonate with readers. Uh, because they're, they can see themselves in him. Um, and so the answer to your question, how do I develop him, I would say slowly. Um, <laughs> I don't have a, a planned end for this series. It's selling well, and so I continue to, to keep writing it until it, I mean, you know, surprise, surprise, I'm in this for the commercial interest as well as for the art. And so I want to keep writing it as long as people want to keep reading him, and that means I can't drastically change who he is as a person book to book, or he stops making as much sense. Um, so to kind of answer that, I've, I've actually built a cast of characters around him that I can focus a little more on. So even, even though it's a Harvey Bennett book, he, he operates with what, what we're calling the civilian uh, special operations, um, where he's got his wife now and, and other people around him that I can develop and sort of focus on through, through these books, even though they're Harvey Bennett thrillers. I was just wondering also, Nick, uh, have you developed screenplays with these as well? I have not. Um, the reason for that is very simple. I don't feel like I'm a good screenwriter. I've never tried it before. Um, and the reason I've never really practiced it is, is I don't like doing something that doesn't have any market whatsoever. Um, or I, I shouldn't, because obviously it has a market. Screenplays have a market. Um, but there, there's no, you know, like at Amazon, I can, I can throw a book out there and, and try to get people to buy it. And if it doesn't sell super well, I know that maybe I should change direction a little bit. There's not really that testing ground for screenplays right now, right? There, there's no sub-marketplace for people selling and, and reading screenplays. Um, and so what I've done is I've got friends who are in L.A. who want to get into that, and I've, I've partnered with them and actually signed a contract to do um, this, the, what you're talking about but have them write the screenplays because they're the professionals and they know how to do it. Um, no, nothing's come of it yet, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get some interest at some point, but um, that's not something that I've – I've personally doubled down on yet. Right. Sounds like your protagonist could very well do the same thing as, you know, get into the movies. That would be interesting. 
let's tell Christopher Nolan. I fully agree with you, and I think we should see some uh, some Harvey Bennett movies. I've got 11 books now, so we should have oh, yeah. some good content there. Right. Oh, it's, it's pretty interesting. But, you know, when you when you get – how do we go – so your character, who who is Harvey Bennett then? So you, you're saying it's kind of a, a type of who you are, a person. It's got some of you in it. But He, he is. Um, that's honestly by accident. I, I never uh, studied writing, and so it was always sort of this – failing forward when I'm trying to write characters. I'm trying to make them not sound like me, but then inevitably there's pieces of them that do. Um, Harvey became, or I'm sorry, he, he was birthed of this idea, I want an everyman main character. Um, and, and so I just uh, attached some adjectives to him, and I said he's going to be reclusive, um, he's going to be a recluse, and he's going to be a park ranger. Um, and so, I guess those are nouns. Um, so he... Uh, he uh, he started. That, that was it. That was the whole idea. I don't know why or where I came up with that idea, but I, I put him in a park ranger position because he could he could enjoy nature and be outside, but also not have to deal with people as much, um, like in an office environment. And so I started with that. And when I found um, the idea of or the um, not the idea the, the the actual super volcano that that is sitting underneath their feet at Yellowstone. Um, the caldera that's there, right? I, I thought, that's a really interesting idea. What if it blew up? What if it erupted? Or what if, even better, what if a terrorist organization forced it to erupt somehow? And that became the, the premise for the idea behind the Enigma strain. Oh, wow. Okay. We're true crime writers here. So <laughs> we kind of know the story ahead of time, and we put together the facts and, and put it out in a book. You have to do all of that yourself within your own mind. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the process is for someone like yourself uh, to sit there. So you've got, a, you've got your file, you've got these ideas of some pretty wild science things that can happen. You've got your character. So what, what, how does that come together? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it's changed over the years. It's definitely morphed from what it is. It's still an ongoing, a changing process for me. Um, the thing that works the most that for me is, is outlining. And I have a pretty, I wouldn't say extremely intricate outline, but it's probably 10 to 12 pages per book. Um, so it's, it's a little more in-depth than just a, you know, a one-page synopsis. Um, although I, I might start with that one-page synopsis and then work it into an outline. And I start with a pretty typical three-act play structure, um, beginning, middle, end. But I, I kind of buy into the approach where the, the middle is about 50% of your book, and the, the first and, and last acts are about 25% each. So then it's really a four-act structure, and I just I start with the beginning, I have the inciting incident, um, and I, I get into the, the meat of the book in that middle, middle act, and then I try to have a climactic end. I know that sounds oversimplified, and it certainly is, but um, I, I, I allow the characters that I've got and that formula I mentioned before to try to help me navigate what that outline is going to look like. Um, and I, I tell you guys, every single time I do it, it's frustrating. <laughs> I'm just not at the point. I'm either not good enough or my process isn't there yet, but I am frustrated. Um, but I, I like to say that that's what writing is a lot of times, is, is just being frustrated enough with something that you, you make it work and you tweak it until it works, and then you get something you're proud of. Um, I've never published anything I haven't been proud of. I've never published anything that I, 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 put, I wrote the end and I was frustrated about. Um, whatever my process is, I, I go slow enough that I can adapt and change and make things work and then, you know, throw things out the window as needed. But um, 
yeah, I outline everything. I, I know a lot of people sort of sit and discover and, and all that. I'm I'm not that kind of person. Well, uh, a question. Uh, the you know sounds like you have you know the formula you were talking about. If I was a reader, uh, I, that would actually make me feel comfortable because if there's not the expectation of knowing what's going to happen at the end, but the pattern of reading is probably going to flow the same. I bet that's what attracts maybe uh, uh, you know not that you're going to have groupies, but that's going to attract uh, some readers in that because they what they're expecting they get. I would think so. I mean, that's what we're called, what we call tropes in, in this genre, you know, and if you're writing, um, sweet romance, there has to be a happy ending. That's just a rule, you know, and if you break that rule, you're all of a sudden not writing sweet romance and you're going to upset a lot of readers. And so it's, the, it's the same with, with what I write. They're largely called thrillers, but I say specific archaeological adventure because there's some, some tropes like what you're talking about that, that do exist. And, you know, I, I think any reader picking up my books who's read one of these other books in that genre knows the good guy's going to win. The hero's going to win. The heroine's going to make it out alive. But what we do to them throughout the book, hopefully, is super intense and exciting enough that they continue reading to the end, and that's what they're reading for. It's how they get there, not necessarily what's going to happen in this particular genre, right? It's not Game of Thrones. I'm not killing off my main characters at the end of each book. Oh, right. <laughs> I know. <but> spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I have to wonder, but, you know, when you – I, I talked to J.D. Horn, who has written some books in, in the same same area and done well, and he says that a lot of his um, supporting characters are people that he really doesn't like. They're people that uh, he's he's – met in a in a lineup in a supermarket that's been rude or he'll take he'll take people he's actually come across and then he kills them off in in the book uh, do, do you get your your supporting characters that way i love that that approach um i i certainly haven't done it as blatantly and and uh, you know openly as that um you know, if I meet a guy named uh, Stephen Walker, I'm not going to name him in the book, you know, Weaven Stalker or anything like that. But um, I, uh, I certainly use interactions that I've had and things that annoy me, I know, will also annoy people who like the kind of books I write. And so I, I can use that, right? I can use those interactions to, to develop a character in a certain way or have a conversation in a certain way. Um, one of the things that, um, I, admittedly, I started this uh, a trend, but... Um, I, I accidentally in my first book ended up killing a lot of the bad guys um, by shooting them through the neck. <laughs> I would have them get shot in the neck. I don't know why. It was just it was my first book. I didn't know what I was doing, right? But I just thought everybody has to get shot in the neck. And so I think an editor of, of mine early on mentioned it, hey, you know, a lot of people get shot in the neck. And rather than being a good author and changing that, I doubled down on it. And so now in all of my books, this is another spoiler alert, Every single one of my books, somebody is going to get injured through the neck. Um, I'm not gonna. It's not always going to be a bad guy, but it's somebody's. There's going to be the what I call the Nick Thacker neck shot, and there's a little trademark at the end there sometimes. Um, but <laughs> the Nick Thacker neck shot became sort of a thing, and I, I've done that before to some of these um, people I've met in real life, where I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm mean enough to want to kill this person, but um, maybe kicking them in the neck or something would be would be a satisfying end. Well, kill them, forget it. Don't waste time. Just it should, be, it should be noted that I'm I'm not writing sweet romance, so if anyone is horrified by what I'm doing to these characters, it is acceptable in my genre. Yeah, make them suffer. 
Um, do do you have an underlying theme or an underlying um, purpose uh, in a book? So so I, here I am. I go out and I pick up a book, uh, Final Target, one of your books, and I read it. So besides the um, forward story, besides the actual thing that happens, the events throughout the book, is there something else you want me to get or take home from that story? Oh, I love that question. Um, if I can, I'm going to answer that with a bit of an anecdote. I studied composition, music composition in college, and one of the things that we had to do was analyze other composers' works. Um, you know, we would take it and, and break it down into music theory and, and all these things that um, really didn't matter it, to experiencing the piece, but it sometimes helped us understand the structure and how they did it. I remember one of my um, band directors actually um, told the story where he he analyzed the work of one of his favorite composers and wrote this piece and basically did a dissertation on this one piece and took it to uh, the composer, his first name was Frank, and, and said, hey, Frank, I... I analyzed this, and this is what I got out of it, and this is what it means for me. And Frank looked at it and said, okay, great. <laughs> it, it didn't matter to him because that wasn't, it wasn't relevant to the piece. And I feel like theme in at least the books that I write are kind of the same way. I may have an idea for what I want somebody to get, but because there's so much happening in the book, um, what happens most often is there's all these other little things that somebody reading it um, needs to hear or um, picks up on that I had no idea or didn't expect that. And so I've had people come to me and say, I love the theme of this book. And then I go, great. Well, yeah, what was it? And they tell me it. And I thought, that's, that's not at all what I had in mind the theme was. Um, and so I don't know if that's just a, another sign of uh, my failure as an author or a writer, but I think theme matters because um, most books that are any good are going to have one. But they don't matter as something that I need to focus on early on in the process of writing the book, right? It's not something that I need to, to really worry about honing in on, at least not in this genre. Now, if I was writing something a little more literary, you know, something that wasn't genre fiction, sure, I think there's a case to be made that theme is the biggest part of why we're reading it. But in, in the genre fiction, the commercial fiction that I'm writing, um, that's not something that I, I worry about up front, although it does happen to be a piece of the book. Um, it's just not something I've ever been able to really nail down well. Well, I was going to say, because, you know, it's, it's the basic idea of the good beating evil, you know, being, um, being the champion. Um, so th there's got to be a little, little bit of Nick Morrow involved, right? I think that's fair, absolutely. Um, like I said, there's some tropes in this genre, and the good defeating evil is very much so a trope. And... Um, meaning it's, it's an expectation that, that readers have, and if we don't hit it, they're often left unsatisfied or disappointed even. Um, so sure, largely that could be a theme for all of the stuff that I've written, um, but you know, there's a lot of times where I'll write a book because I'm feeling something or experiencing something, and I want to put that into words, and maybe the something is like, it, it doesn't matter what we do in life, life is going to happen anyway, and, and maybe that's my theme stated. And I may even have a character literally state those words. Um, but every time I try that, at the end of the book, at the, when I publish it and people read it, and if somebody comes back to me and says, I love what your theme was, they'll say something entirely different than, you know, life happens no matter what, <laughs> or something like that. So I, I think it's the narrow, um, specific, explicit theme that, that we put into books that tends to get lost. But you're exactly right. I mean, largely in this genre, there is absolutely the theme of good defeats evil and um, 
you know, the twist is maybe that the cost is, is very, very great for that to happen. Um, so when we take what you've just said and we go a step further, so I take something like you have the book called The Patriot, right? Um, how far can you go into uh, – how do I say this? Um, the last few years, let's say, in American politics, it's been very, very uh, brutal, right? So, and what is a patriot and what isn't? So how far can you, like, how do you walk that line without turning off readers because of their political stance, you know, because there's, there's got to be a certain amount of um, patriotism to this type of hero. I love that question. I think that is a hard question to answer. And, um, Truly, I think that there is a very fine line between patriotism and jingoism. Um, there is a. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Very fine line between um, capitalism pro-capitalism and, you know, evil um, corporation type, you know, uh, whatever. And so I think for me, my goal is not to, again, going back to the whole theme idea, my goal is not to say I'm promoting America, I'm promoting 
pro or anti-capitalism or this or that, or I'm, I hate communism or I love it. Or, well, I'm not doing any of that. I'm saying, here's a character I want you to know and love and root for, and I want you to see through his eyes what he's experiencing. And what he's experiencing in, in The Patriot specifically is this idea, you've got all kinds of these, um, ironically, I'm going to say themes, <laughs> taking place in there where, you know, Puerto Rico wants to um, become a state and, and, you know, some people in Puerto Rico don't want that to happen and they're fighting uh, actively against it. Um, and you've got um, large, you know, big pharma happening there because that's their main export. And, uh, of course, American politics is deeply embedded with that. And he's looking at it and uncovering all these things like an onion and saying, okay, something feels wrong here. Um, and I'm, I've tried my best to not point a finger at one specific thing that caused the problem, um, other than humanity itself, society itself. People aren't perfect, and so society can't be perfect. And that's, I think, what Jake Parker is is pointing out, or at least experiencing. And I'm hoping that the reader can see that through his eyes, that you know, there's problems in any society. And America may be a great country to live in, um, we see in the third book that's that's not released yet, you know, that he goes to Africa and he sees a very different form of society that has very different pros and cons, and he's experiencing it again through through his eyes, um, which of course are my eyes as well as the author, as the creator of this character. But I'm not trying to shove anything down anyone's throat. I, I've really tried to stay away from that, both for the commercial reasons, right? I don't want to turn off half of my audience. I don't want to say, well, he's a liberal writer, he's a conservative writer, I can't read him anymore. I'm trying to say, I, I don't know the answers to these things, but I'm struggling with it just like you are, just like any reader is, just like Jake Parker is. Let's figure it out together, because I think unification, and that actually is one of the themes, again, ironically, <laughs> of uh, the Enigma strain. Unification is the only way we're going to get through some of this stuff. And so if if anyone can call me anything, it's, it's an optimist. And... Um, I hope that that comes through at the end, and I think that plays well into the the good defeats evil theme that these uh, these thrillers have. Yeah, I, I I I see that. I was just I was I would think that it would be very. Um, you have to walk a, f a very fine line there. You have to be very careful sometimes uh, about um, looking at a certain element, a certain event, and sort of. Um, whether it's negative or positive, I think you'd have to worry about how you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because you're writing I, I do. dialogue, I, you know? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and absolutely. There's, um, I would say this. I would say your statement is correct if. Um, it's important to be very careful if what I'm trying to do is not piss off one side or the other. I hope it doesn't get bleeped out. But, uh, you know, to, to upset one side or the other of this thing. Uh, but here's the deal. I'm not actually fighting that battle. I don't really care um, if I upset somebody who's extremely right-wing or extremely left-wing because, to be honest, I'm not either of those things, and so I'm never going to really resonate with either of those readers. Um, I'm not saying I'm moderate either. I'm just saying, you know, the, the, the radicals, the sides, and, and if you could see me, I'm putting these giant, you know, parentheses on either side of everything. Like, it, I'm not over there, um, and so my characters typically aren't over there. And so here's a great example. Um, in the first Jake Parker book, Containment, um, he – actually, the, the opening of the book starts with a family traveling from England. They're visiting Canada, and they accidentally take a back road and end up in the United States. And they get separated um, from immigration customs uh, by they – get, they get separated 
parents on over here and their kids go to a completely different detention facility and it's just this huge mess and the parents in, in my story end up passing away um, and I, there's some spoilers that I won't give um, here's the thing that was almost verbatim a headline that I read um, about the time I was outlining this book that was real that really happened and so there are things you can say about American um, approach to immigration some of those things would be correct, some of those things would be wrong. I think, our, you know, we, I could argue that none of us really know the, the, the full picture, um, but I don't think anyone who's sane would argue that it really kind of sucks that kids get separated from their parents. It, it, politics aside, that, that's just a bad situation. Um, I do not believe that, you know, American politics is trying to set it up that way, personally, um, but that book is, in a lot of ways, a commentary on, hey, here's some things that are happening that, could be good in one situation, but also could be bad in the same situation, uh, treated a, a different way. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. fumbling over my words here, but you know, there's. It's my job as an author to to to, to do what you both do. You know, with the true crime stuff, um, mine's just not true. The actual case didn't happen, but um, it's not any less true as far as people are doing these things and people are are experiencing these things. Um, I feel like my job as an author is to entertain people first and foremost, but if they're going to spend so much time with my words, why not actually try to display some of the, the real problems that exist in America? Not because I'm trying to solve a problem with that, but because I'm trying to um, better put my characters in the minds of readers. I'm, I'm trying to better allow people to, to grasp the, you know, so people can read Jake Parker and go, oh, my gosh, this is really happening right now. That first book was about a viral outbreak. Um, I wrote it, completed it, and turned it in, before any of this COVID stuff happened. Um, and now I absolutely am not a, a, a cleric and couldn't predict any of this stuff. So that all happened before, but, but it was about immigration. It was about um, some of the, the things that are happening in society today, at least the one I live in. And so um, why invent a whole new one when I've got plenty of, of juice for Jake Parker to, 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 to you know, um, or ammunition for, for Jake Parker. You know, why, why, why invent something completely new and completely um, fictitious when we've got plenty of fiction that makes, uh, or plenty of uh, nonfiction that makes great fiction? Yeah. So your readers get this relevancy. Uh, and I have a question. Um, if I was a person, and I am going to be a person that wants to uh, read some of your series with Harvey Bennett, um, would you recommend me start with the very first one, or does it matter which one I start with? They are in order. Um, you don't have to read the first one to, to read the next one. Um, I did try to write them as much as possible to be enjoyed standalone. You know, if someone comes in and goes, I just love the Amazon rainforest. I love fiction set there. Um, I'm going to read book two, The Amazon Code. Um, that's totally fine. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. Like I said, I developed the character very slowly over time, so you're not really going to miss much. Um, but I do recommend if you're getting started, try the, try the Enigma Strain first. It's certainly the one that sells the most. I advertise that one the most, so most people see that first. Um, same thing with Jake Parker. You know, that's a newer series. Um, the third one's out with the publisher right now. It'll be released this summer, but it's it's um, meant to be enjoyed standalone. But it makes a lot more sense if you start with the first one. Mm. Okay. Now, you know, I, but I have to wonder when we were talking about things that are happening, and and you were talking about immigration and, and all that stuff. So, when the world around you is kind of uh, bumpy. Let's say that, you know, with the, let's say the last year with the politics and the 
Black Lives Matters and, and all of the, and the virus. So when things are kind of unsettled around you in the world you're living in, um, does that affect your writing in, 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 in a couple of ways? One, um, are you productive or does it work the other way? And, and the other question is, when there's so much um, unrest, does it influence, does it make you write darker? Uh, if I if I said it doesn't affect me, I'd be lying. I, I think it certainly does. Um, I try not to let it affect me. This is my job, you know. I don't I don't sit around waiting for the muse to strike. But you know, everyone's um, a human, and so I'm not a robot. I wish I were sometimes. I just sit down and, and chunk out the words every day. But no, I'm I'm often um, feeling certain ways. You know, I I actually uh, struggle with anxiety, and so. Um, if I'm feeling rather anxious about something, and usually it's money or, you know, I'm, uh, the sky is falling, I'm not going to make any money, I have a very hard time writing. I have a very hard time sitting down and just slogging through the edits or whatever it happens to be on my plate that day. Um, I, I definitely think the news or the mainstream media, Facebook, every, every place we get information from outside our own little world into our persona certainly affects us uh, either negatively or positively. Now, my wife and I have pretty much sworn off news. We don't watch anything on TV like that. We don't, we don't consume oh, yeah. any of that stuff. That's been far better for my mental health than anything else I've done. Um, but we still see things. You know, we're on Facebook. We're on um, Reddit. You know, we, we see what's happening in the world. And um, it's a little more curated because it's, it's, you know, my friends or whoever on Facebook. Um, but I've got friends on all sides of things. And so I get to hear very, very passionate opinions um, somewhat radicalized in some ways, but on both sides of the, the aisle. And uh, um, what's really intriguing about that statement I just said is both sides, as if there's only two sides to the story. And so when I tend to get overwhelmed, it's when I realize there's never just two sides to anything. There's this infinite layer, you know, nuance to everything that every issue, every in, independent thing. And then even then, every independent thing is not isolated. It's not mutually exclusive to every other independent thing. So that's what society is, right? That's what goes into all these books is, well, this is happening over here, and if we were to isolate it, this might be the right answer. Um, and so the bad guy does that. And then the good guy comes along and says, yeah, but it's never going to be isolated. You can't just do that. You have to realize how it affects everything else. Um, and I'm making, I'm making up a story at the end of the day, so I'm not really going to be in any trouble of, of harming actual people, uh, which is good. But I, I try to make it as realistic as possible. And absolutely, as I'm reading and researching these things, um, I, I feel it. You know, I feel the angst of kids getting separated from their parents. I have two kids. And so I, I try to imagine for my fiction <laughs> what that would feel like um, and, and put the characters in, into, that, into that situation. So, so what would you um, – your favorite, your favorite work you've done, uh, is there one in particular that sticks out for you? I, you know, I, I, I love the Amazon code. Um, that's the second book in the Harvey Bennett series. Um, it's not the best book I've written, but it's just such a fun story to me. Um, a lot of things collided well with that one. You know, as I mentioned, the, the technology, the history, the, the actual place of the Amazon. I did a lot of research. I've never been to the Amazon. I've never been to most places I've written about. Um, and I really wanted to capture the essence of the Amazon. And so I read, um, rather than, like, fictionalized accounts of the Amazon, I read people who, who went there and... and um, hunted and uh, tagged anacondas for a living for a little while. And it was, it was just eye-opening, you know, about what, um, what the place was actually like, according to their accounts. And, and I feel like I captured that pretty well. I, I feel like I did a good job saying, hey, this is, you know, it's not really the, the, uh, the Amazon that we know from 
Wonder Woman <laughs> or something else like that. It's a little bit, you know, different. And, uh, and I think just that combined with the, the plot itself is just really, really fun for me. So I always go back to that one as a favorite. Um, but I, I got to say my second one is, is by far not the best book I've written. My second favorite book is my uh, first in the Mason Dixon series. And if, if that sounds tongue-in-cheek, it very much is, and that's part of the reason it's my favorite. Um, this was all written in first person, and so it's a very much the sarcastic mind of, of Nick. Um, but Mason Dixon is a bartender, and in order to pay off his bar, he takes uh, night gigs as an assassin, killing uh, the, the less-than-scrupulous individuals of society. And he does it with a pretty humorous, edgy tone, gets himself into some hot water, and it was just, it was a blast to write. So that first book, Mark for Blood, is probably my second favorite. Wow. So, another question. Yeah, go for it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, um, so Nick, uh, one of the things, because uh, both Al and I, we do, uh, uh, crime, you know, true crime, that we try to get into the minds of these serial killers, that they have a completely different mindset, that let's say even a, a, even a violent offender they're different. So like that serial killer, uh, it, why they're not insane is because they know right from wrong. They just don't care. Um, do you try to do that with your pro, uh, antagonist to try to, uh, to try to, I mean, it's a difficult thing to try to think like a serial killer, but do you still try that? A little bit. Um, I definitely think that is a difference between what I'm able to write and what like, guy, you know, guys that can, can accomplish the true crime stuff. I just, it's the whole level that I, I'm not there yet. I really feel as a writer, as an author, to be honest, I just, I think it's, um, I haven't gone that far into anyone's head um, in my writing. Part of it, though, is is also the genre. You know, the expectation isn't that we've got a, an antagonist who, who tortures people, um, or it's more kind of a larger scope type stuff. Like, he wants power, she wants power. They want to take over the world. They want to um, use their stuff to, to promote their own power, and they don't care if they kill people along the way. It's not really a, as intimate, right, as a as a, a serial killer situation. And so, yeah, I haven't really. Um, I'll be honest with you. I I'm a little uh, um, queasy around you know some true crime like shows. Uh, for some reason, it, it's it's just a, I, I don't like going there, and so um, that's not something that that I consume a lot of. Um, I have immense respect for people who pull it off well because it, it is a absolutely crucial part of um storytelling i think but not not in my books it's not something that i've uh, that i've done a lot of okay okay so what are your influences then where where, where what influences you is it other writers or is it um where, where does that come from it, it really is a lot of other writers um i started down this path my favorite writer is james rollins um you know he's traditionally published but in the same genre that i'm writing in um actually the the foreword to the Amazon code, um, I say I, I've always wanted to write a book like James Rollins' book, um, oh my gosh, now, Amazonia, uh, which is also set in the Amazon. It's got some almost speculative fiction things and, and stuff like that. That one was just mind-blowing to me. When I read Amazonia, I thought, this if I could ever create something half as good as this, I, I'll, as, good, as good as this, I'll have arrived. So James Rollins is up there for me. Dan Brown is up there for me. Um, Say what you will about his writing style. I think the, the ability for him to put a puzzle together and, and unravel it as the story goes on is second to none. Um, so I've always tried to, to, to aspire to that sort of puzzle adventure fiction. Um, and then, of course, there's the greats in my genre, the Clive Cussler, Andy McDermott, Matthew Riley. All these guys were traditionally published 
authors that I started reading long before I started writing. So nowadays, as I'm a writer, I've, I'm interacting with all their indie, indie writers that a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, so I'll you know throw out names like Kevin Tumlinson and Ernest Dempsey, David Wood. These are guys that write in my genre, and I love all of their books. get a lot of inspiration for them. I will also say, too, that um, it's pretty safe in this genre to cover ground that's already been you know, tread like a thousand times. So I don't know how many times my characters have discovered Atlantis. Um, I don't know how many times they've uh, stumbled upon an ancient un uncontacted tribe. Um, these are all things that, that are just the readers eat them up. I love those things as, as a reader. And so I'm willing to say, okay, well, I know this writer already discovered Atlantis in this book. I want to hear another version of it, you know. Um, so that's a that's pretty uh, pretty common in this in this world for for us as writers to just write the same thing over and over again. You know, I hear quite a few, quite a few of the crime fiction authors, especially that I've talked to, um, they consider their characters their children. Um, is that sort of your your feeling on it too? No, um, I have real children, and I don't know that anything will ever let me feel that way about anything else, to be honest. Um, and, I, and that's not to slight any other author. I think it just, again, goes to my own in, <laughs> um, incompetencies as an author. I, I I write characters that I care about. You know, it's it's hard when one of them dies that has been with me for a long time, but um, I don't I don't feel that strongly, honestly, about them. Oh, good. If, if they move the story forward, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. Well, that's... <laughs> Well, that's not all my right. kids. Not my kids. <laughs> my characters. <laughs> no, I, I, I sort of because I, it, it always strikes me as weird when, when I hear that, and, and I, because it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with. I, I can't relate to it. I don't understand when they say, "Oh, it's like my kids." It's like they, they're. Yeah, I just have to imagine that they're, they're using it as an al, you know, an analogy. It's, it's like obviously, if they had to choose between their kid and the character, I think they would choose the character <laughs> to die off, right? Um, oh, you never know. But, but yeah, I, I, I think it's just a way that they're trying to get in. I don't know, maybe. I've never met their kids. So Yeah, <laughs> well, and, you know, you're talking to a true crime author, so I don't know. I can yeah, 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 way. exactly. And nutballs yeah. out there. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. So where do you see yourself going with all this? Like, what, what, you know, it seems like you, you, you took it on without this great plan originally, like you weren't born to be yeah, a writer type thing, and it just sort of happened. <laughs> And now you're doing it, and, and it's working. So where does it go for Nick now? Oh, ah, wow, yeah, everywhere and nowhere, and who knows? Um, no, <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've, I've tried to set myself a five, ten-year plan, 20-year plan, and, you know, I get about ten minutes into it, and I, I, I ditch it. Um, the reason for that is I'm, I'm, I'm okay at a lot of things, and I'm not really great at any of them. And so I feel like I do something, and I, I do it well, and I, I think, Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the route I should go. Um, and then the next day I wake up and realize, oh, I'm just barely mediocre at that thing. Um, I can't build a career on that. And so I've collected this um, eclectic mix of, of, you know, skills and sort of half-assed my way through some things that um, make me think I'm capable of doing a lot of things but haven't really become the best at one of those things. So um, in true entrepreneur fashion, um, I've sort of built myself into this role of writing and publishing um, and just sort of doing more marketing type things. And what that really translates to, guys, is um, I want to eventually take on a role where I'm publishing more books than I'm writing. I, I want to work with other co-writers, which I'm, I'm already doing, uh, but then even writers where I'm, I have no writing role with the book or the series, and I want to um, publish those books. I want to build a, a, a library of action-adventure thrillers that I'm, I'm um, helping get out in the world. 
Um, for my own books, I'm, I'm looking at things like audio. Um, I think that's still primed to blow up, uh, especially this and next year with things coming out over the, over the horizon with that. I think AI is going to play a big role, and I'm, I'm trying to do some small things that um, I think can take advantage of some of that. Uh, without getting into de- I mean, I can get into details, of course. I don't know how much time we have. But generally, um, I have no plans to stop writing, but I do want to slow down with my own books and try to, to develop other books for other people as well. Um, I think that's probably the best way to answer that. Well, uh, turning into a real business here. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Right. No, I've I've um, I've got the LLC and all all kinds of that. You know, that's I I publish my own books through a real you know company and all that, and and have done that. I, I'll continue to, but um, I'd love to take on a, a little bit different role with some some other books. Yeah, it's it's quite a business. It's a, it, how do you like the publishing world right now? Sorry about that. I lost you for a second. Um, oh, right, lost myself for a second there. Um, the publishing world is is very frustrating to me, honestly. Um, when we say publishing, you know, we're talking about companies that put out authors' books, and generally that means the traditional published route. You know, meaning you, you go with an agent and you rounds of editing and all that, and it, it's just infinitely frustrating to me um, because it, it, you know, it it just sure looks from the outside like. They don't see the forest for the trees. They don't see they're in the business of printing dead, dead trees. Um, you know, they're not actually trying to sell more books. They're trying to print on paper um, and sell that. And I have to take a step back every time I, I think that because that's not really the truth. They, they know very well what's going on, and they can see the landscape, and they know Amazon exists, and right, that's not a secret. Um, they're just operating in a completely different business model than us small-time indies are. Um, so when I... When I try to figure out my place and all that, I uh, I go back to, you know, I don't have the deals with with bookstores, and I'm not printing loads of, of hardcover books first, and then switching to a mass market paperback. And, and I have a very different business model, one that's allowed me to grow a lot as a writer, but also as a bookseller. And I look at my role in that as um as a self published author, as someone who needs to just constantly be engaging with readers better. We started this conversation with the Bath Time Reviews video you saw. There's two of those, yeah. um, and, and I'm releasing their Facebook ads. You know, I'm, I'm actually paying money to get eyeballs onto them uh, because it generates engagement, and then you know, I go through a funnel, and then I can advertise again. And The whole point is, um, yeah, I want you to buy my books, but I'm trying to develop a readership here. You know? and, and that's what, as publishers, that's what we're really all trying to do. We're trying to get people who will say, I don't care what it is. I'll buy it. I love you as a writer. I love reading your stuff. You want to branch out of another genre? Well, I know I like you as a writer, so I'm probably going to like that new book. Um, and so the, the ways that we can do that are constantly changing. Publishing, publishing companies have their own way of doing it. Indies have their own way of doing it. And there's constantly new ways being developed. And so I'm just trying to be at the cusp of all that, um, trying to be at the forefront of um, using new tools and being edgy, like sitting in a bathtub drinking wine, reading one-star reviews. If it helps me engage with new readers, then I've, I've done something right. Well, yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, so do you have a, a, a website or a place that you want people to go or that they can go and find and maybe stalk you or send you? Sure thing, yeah. I'm imminently stalkable. Um, you can find me on my website, nickthacker.com. Um, last name's T-H-A-C-K-E-R. And, of course, on Facebook, I'm, I'm pretty active there. I've got um, 
a lot of videos of myself sitting in a bathtub. If that's uh, your jam, you know, you're listening and want to see what that looks like. Um, <laughs> you may have to gouge your eyes out afterwards, but uh, at least it'll be entertaining. No, you've got it all. You got the looks, the charm. Oh man, thank you. Well, that's why I only did a I did a neck up video only. Oh. So. <laughs> Well, at least you can do the neck up. I can't even do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> well I mean, let's say you got a face for radio. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, got the whole, the whole body for radio. It's just, you know, just, uh, some people have it all, you know. Some people just, they got it all. Thank you, Al. Some people do. I'd love please. to meet those people one day. But Oh, please, you know. Um, well, that's fantastic. It's been a real a real good conversation, and uh, I'm glad you were able to join us. Uh, no, this has oh. been absolutely great time. You guys have done a uh, wonderful job with the show. So so what uh, so another day what goes on so what do you do with your day-to-day life? What's what's the famous Nick Thacker do when he's not writing? I I procrastinate as much as I can to be honest. Um I I do anything but write most days. No, um you know like I said this is a job. I I can't sit around and wait for the muse to strike. I've got books to write and things to edit and ads to run and so my day is a pretty good mixed bag. I, I'm really only good for a couple hours of writing every day, to be honest, and that, just sitting down and grinding out words. Um, but as an ind- independent author, independent publisher, there's so much more to do, as you can imagine. Um, I, I really do enjoy just about everything I do, and the things I don't enjoy, I just you know hire other people to do. Um, I, I really kind of like going through taxes and ad spend and all that and doing some of the more generally traditionally boring things. But um, right now I'm in a season where I am, uh, I'm doing woodworking, right? You know, believe it or not, randomly, I'm doing a lot of woodworking. Um, I'm not any good at it, but I, I've got a shop out in the garage now and, and I can build some furniture and stuff. So I'll typically spend most of the morning and early afternoon at the computer. And then when my eyes start to bleed, I get up and I go out and, um, put on some headphones and, and start working on some project that the wife has me working on or yeah. uh, something for fun. So that's wow. been it's been really good, really relaxing for me. Come in and be all sweaty and shower off, and then spend the evening with the family. So um, wow. I'm not sure. Yeah, I like that rhythm a lot. I think I probably should be doing more writing most days, but um, it's still getting done. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's been it's fascinating. Uh, it's been a good conversation. Glad you were here, and uh, um, our guest has been Nick Fat. Thatcher, Thacker. I was going to call you Thatcher. That's Speaking right. of Margaret Thatcher, worse. you know. Yeah. I know. I know. I've been called far worse, so that's fine. Yeah. Nick Thacker, though. Mrs. Thatcher. <laughs> Our guest is Nick Thacker. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Nick. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. <laughs> The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.